Hello, and welcome to Creepy Culture, CM Life's scariest podcast, where we discuss horror movies, video games, music, and more. I'm your host, Stephanie Chipman. And I'm your host, Tyler Clark. And on this episode, we're going to discuss horror icons and induct one horror icon into the Creepy Culture Horror Icon Hall of Fame. And today we'll be talking about a few different horror icons, comparing and contrasting their individual characteristics, as well as their scare factor, which we'll conduct on the creepy culture scarometer. If we missed your favorite icon, obviously we can't get to them all. These are our personal picks, our personal favorites. Um, yeah, uh, so leave a comment on our Instagram creepy underscore culture with k's creepy and culture both k's or uh on the youtube comments yeah let us know which one you would have inducted into our hall of fame um today we'll be joined by cmu's english professor bill wandless thank you for joining us um here on creepy culture um so you were telling me that you teach a variety of classes at cmu are you what are you teaching next semester Next semester, I'm teaching our comics and graphic novels class, so that's English 141. Um, I want to say I'm teaching um, English composition at the freshman level, and I think I've got a graduate course on tap as well, so that will be in contemporary poetry. Awesome. Well, and if you want, um, if you want to take a class with Bill Wandless, then um, definitely take one of those. I know the graphics class sounded like a lot of fun to me. It is a lot of fun. I really wish I wasn't graduating now. <laughs> the, the prices you pay for doing your job turns out. Fair enough. Um, all right, so let's let's start in on um, some of these questions we got for you. Um, okay. What originally sparked your interest in horror and the genre in general? Sure. When I was very little, um, we used to have up in the New England area where I lived a show on Saturday afternoons called Creature Double Feature. Um, so it was a sprawling four-hour block of horror movies and kind of toned down old school 1940s and 50s horror movies prepared for um, a generic audience. But it was something which gave me at least a sense of what was out there, you know, what kinds of films were out there. Then my brother got me into the more contemporary kinds of horror movies, which I think we we're more conversant with, which are going to be the Friday the 13th and the Fun House and all of these sorts of very little cheesy, little schlocky, but still kind of scary um, 80s horror movies. And he subscribed to Fangoria and those kinds of magazines. So I got a really good footing that way. And then um, it became almost kind of like a forbidden pleasure for me. So we'd have those late night movies on USA Network and TNT. Um, you get some of the horror hosts like Elvira or Joe Bob Briggs. And so I got this kind of long standing engagement, which is very much self-selected on my part. And then it became for me a kind of fascination. You had to do these special effects. How do you make this makeup work? All that kind of mechanical stuff became increasingly available to me. And I really enjoyed kind of delving around in those materials, which seemed to be really far afield of anything I was doing with my life. Yeah, I can see that you like gained a fascination over time. I, I really wish I had an opportunity to watch some of that really early horror stuff that you caught on TV. That sounds like a lot of it's, fun. 
it's super interesting when I was sort of young and really unsophisticated viewer, you know, I would see something like the screaming skull and it would terrify me because I just didn't understand how any of that was actually happening, how they were making these special effects occur, how that skull was flying up out of a well and those kinds of really simple basic things that we understand more fully when we grow up. Um, but in the early going, it was just a discovery to me. That is really cool. And I love how um, everybody has like a different story, how they get into sure. horror. Yeah, it's such a weird genre. on us, it catches us by surprise. Yeah, it's a little bit unusual, alternative. Yeah. Um, so why do you think this genre is popular? Um, in some ways, I think it's because we get a steady diet of it. In our tent poles and blockbuster movies, we often see this long lag between, you know, here is Avengers Endgame, and then we have to make several months of getting, you know, bits and pieces fragment in a kind of fragmentary um, experience before we get to the next big thing, or we wait to summers and we know that season's coming. But summer, um, horror kind of drips all year long, um, and it's very manageable and accessible. It seems like the thing we could do ourselves if we wanted to. It seems like it is within reach of any creator or any creative type. And it does have that um, variability in terms of how much we want to engage with it. We can either take it very seriously and break it down like we would any sophisticated Oscar-worthy movie, or we can just kind of take it in as you know, mental popcorn and enjoy ourselves and be diverted for a little while. And there's nothing about it right, which I think requires necessarily some level of sophistication where we have to know, you know, Irish history to appreciate this movie or know more about the potato famine or World War I. It's something which hits us more viscerally. Um, it doesn't ask us to do a lot of processing beyond feeling afraid or feeling disgusted or, or feeling dread and suspense. And I think that's kind of pleasurable for us. I think you're probably the only people, person we've ever interviewed that has given a similar answer to what I would give. Okay. Um, I always found it as a good distraction. Yeah, it's one of those can't miss genres. Yeah, and if you enjoy something, you can. I can watch it when I'm doing homework. I can watch it when I'm doing uh, my grading. I can sort of take it in passively and kind of anticipate the beats and the pacing that are going to get me to the next scare. Um, but I can also get to it and you know really want to think about it and figure out what it is I like about this production, why I'm enjoying this particular plot line, why this character's performance is so interesting to me. I can dig into it more deeply if I want to, but I never have to. I like that. They're non-committal, but still interesting. Yeah. Very basic human emotions. Yeah. It's very intuitive. You know, you're getting fear. You're getting something which is a kind of raw, undistilled emotion. And you can get connected to the characters and you can hope things for them. But ultimately, you understand, broadly speaking, that it's going to play out in a kind of understandable way, a way you can anticipate. And that's pleasurable. It gives us a little bit of relief, even though we know the scares are coming. Yeah, I kind of like that formula that those 80 yeah. movies have. You know what I'm talking about, the slashers. Yeah, and there's something about it which I think evolves quickly. So you see the pattern, and once you've got the pattern down, you can appreciate the distinctiveness of the variations and some of the tones and hues they're mixing in there along the way. Definitely. And oh, I just really stoked that someone else like sees that. Yeah, it's really, so it's, there's so many pleasures layered into it, which I think people don't appreciate and yeah, I agree. People, I don't know, they have the weirdest opinions about it. So um, which like cultural horror icons do you think are the most important? In terms of importance, I think importance is always kind of this slippery quantity in terms of what we imagine. Because I know a lot of 
recent movies are very thematically oriented. So you get something like It Follows or Midsummer or The Babadook, which give you glimpses of something which is both horrific in prospect, but also gives you an underlying sense of social significance. Um, but for my purposes, I think a lot of the horror that I've always leaned to has that layer cake effect where you've got something at the surface level, which is as meant to be scary. And then beneath that, you might find um, layers of complexity or layers of cultural meaning underneath it. So you see something like Halloween, for example, and in the earliest iteration of the 1978 movie, you just get this sense that horror could be anywhere, that horror could be next door to you. And horror doesn't necessarily have a motive you'll ever understand, and that's kind of scary. Or you see a movie like The Strangers, which takes our idea of living out in the country, which feels kind of safe and remote and isolated, and then making that feel really, really distressing and upsetting. But in terms of just like raw cultural significance, I'd probably say the Candyman movie is the most important because um, that gives us something which has all the trappings of horror, but then mixes in this sense of almost a kind of blindness to all these cultural forces working in the world that we've kind of neglected. And the Candyman represents a really insurgent thing that comes into our world and upsets this sort of very, in most variations of the Candyman movie, this very kind of safe and passive and comfortable world. And we get to see the legacy of some of the damage we've done in the world and what it brings back to us. Yeah, and I, I think, he's probably one of the few like what villains you'd like to call it or whatever that really was a victim first. Absolutely. Yeah. You see something like Freddy Krueger, you know, and you understand Freddy Krueger's bad, but he was already bad. He's pretty awful. And he became something worse with Candyman. You have somebody who is embedded in folklore and has made that transition from somebody who had done nothing essentially wrong and became horrific because he needed to address that in the world, which I think is a much more compelling kind of horror for us, something which makes us feel not only the danger of it, but kind of the righteousness of it. Yeah, definitely. That's a very unique choice, but totally justified. I'm just yeah, I like- think it's, I, I find something about it that's really provocative in terms of just making you think about what it actually means for this candy man to be there as part of this folklore. Oh yeah, and he's scary too. I mean, bees are scary. Absolutely. Bees everywhere. Too many. Ugh. Which uh, horror icon is your favorite? Or which one that's, has scared you the most? Yeah, that's a hard one because in terms of the things I enjoy, I've got a kind of particular um, genre bent. And for me, it's always been the kind of purposely transgressive horror. So I don't find, you know, I know Freddy Krueger in the abstract is somebody who can get you in your dreams is kind of scary, but he's also really localized and he belongs to the Elm Street family, which means that I never lived on Elm Street, so I'm kind of safe. Um, I've always liked that Jaws model of horror where if you do something wrong, if you go in the water, you understand you're suddenly at risk. And so that kind of informs a lot of my choices. Um, I think in terms of um, ones that I really admire in a way, Candyman belongs in that kind of conversation. Um, but I think Hannibal Lecter is probably the most aspirational horror figure in some ways, because he's, he's kind of rule bound. You kind of get him. I mean, you kind of understand if you watch all the way to Hannibal Rising that you have somebody who's motivated, who's got a very humane reason for doing what he does. But he's also got 
class and he's eloquent and he's an intelligent and he's not quite as um not quite as mechanical as some of the other killers tend to become over the course of several movies. So you have, you know, Michael Myers becoming increasingly inhuman, increasingly unrelatable. Jason Voorhees becoming more and more esoteric along the way. And he becomes something which is more refined, more dignified, more interesting, and more human in some ways. Um, in terms of the scary one, I would probably say the Blair Witch. Um, the Blair Witch for me is just more substantial but faceless. And it has the same kind of transgressive quality. You understand you're not supposed to go in those woods. You go in those woods, bad things are gonna happen. But you go in those woods, bad things do in fact happen, but you can take them back out. If you see the other Blair Witch movies further down the road, you can see that there's a kind of contagion or possession wired into it, um, which means that you feel like you've escaped, but you haven't escaped. And that just raw darkness of it, all of the iconography, um, I've been into plenty of woods where you come across those old abandoned farmhouses and buildings, come across graves that you don't want to see there. Um, that sense that it feels to me more realizable. You know, that's a kind of mistake I might make unwittingly. I'd go into the wrong place and instead of saying, okay, I know this is camp blood. I know it's under a death curse. I can't go in there, but here are just some woods. And I understand that maybe camping in there is okay unless I get a good sense of mythology around them and all the bad things that might happen to me because I'm unaware of the transgression I'm making. Sort of similar to The Grudge. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, sort of same thing. Like you go into a house and then it follows you out. Yeah. And it um, follows itself a great movie like that in terms of oh, yeah. giving us something transmissible, um, something which is going to continue victimizing you and deservedly so because you did the wrong thing. Which horror icon would you induct into the creepy culture horror icon hall of fame? Um, I think in pure like iconic terms, the one we think of most when we think of horror is probably Jason Voorhees. I think that is in terms of the symbolism, in terms of that kind of transgressive horror I most enjoy, and in terms of having a sort of footprint on everything we know when we think of horror movies, we think of that hockey mask. We get that really vivid image in something which is strong and figures into, I mean, I've got several of those hockey masks all over the house, but that sense that this is one of those um, instantly recognizable properties. I think for me, probably in terms of just pure abstract icon value, I might go with Pinhead um, because Pinhead takes transgression and makes it cosmic. You know, you still know it's the wrong thing. You still understand playing with that box is a bad idea and you know you're not supposed to, but you kind of want to because it's going to be fun. You've been told there's pleasures in there that you don't understand. Um, but then you open up these gates and in the later Hellraiser movies, you get into the cosmos and space. Um, but you know, it's also engaged with something like hell or something that we don't have any real understanding of. And that for me is always gonna be pretty embracing horror value. I love that. Might I be love... a little biased, but that <laughs> that is a very good pick. Yeah, it is, I think undervalued in some ways, because by the um, third or fourth movie, you're getting into these really strange variations on the theme, and people think you're more interested in just seeing the weird Cenobites they can generate for us. But I think there's still something underlying all that, which reminds us that, you know, you open the box, we came. You know, that's how the mechanism works. You don't say Candyman in the mirror three times. You don't close out the channel when you're playing your Ouija board. There's something about knowing that there's a rule that you can purposely avoid. You can avoid bad things happening to you, but in that case, you're actively inviting it into your life, and that's a little scarier to me. 
that's a good choice <laughs> definitely and i think he's one of the like scariest looking icons yeah. very human but very clearly um a few removes from what we'd expect in just our everyday walks down the street definitely and it doesn't even look like something that would be accidental no. or anything yeah. that you would even remotely see in a normal situation no, you can see, you know, acupuncture and know that's viable. You can do that, but then you see those thicker nails and you see that kind of very careful geometry and suddenly you realize this is not cool. <laughs> no, I would not want to be involved in one of those situations. Well, thank you so much for talking with us and telling us thank about you. your favorite icons. I really appreciate you bringing up the Candyman. He doesn't get talked about enough. And I think it's really interesting. Oh, definitely. And I do remember his backstory story being the most, the biggest contention that I had, the biggest interest I had in the story. Yeah, it's heart-wrenching. It really is because you find out that he was a victim, that he had a family and they're yeah. gone. You know, all sad. the things that he thought were going to go on in his life were taken away from him. And that gives him good reason to have that traction and good reason to come back. Yeah. And I think, um, I, you know, I've talked about this before about, um, just like, why, why do bad people get to come back? Why does Freddie get to do bad yeah. things in his life and then come back? Well, I think the Candyman has all the reason to come back. He For has sure. a point to prove still. It's kind of Shakespearean vengeance. You know, in the case of a Freddy Krueger, it's somebody who's just spiteful and, and mean and wants to come back because he wants to do more damage. In the case of um, Candyman, you get somebody who is more along the lines of, you know, the County Monte Cristo, who has... Um, something he's got to correct, something he's got to address, even if it's, if it's never-ending work, he's still there for a reason. Yeah, it's like good reference to the Count of Monte Cristo too. That's a good film. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. And Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That was a really fun time. I'm glad. Thank you so much, Professor Wanless. So let's start this off with my first nominations. I thought really hard about which characters I wanted to use for my nominations. And these two, I believe, are the most... I believe that they should be number one. They should be inducted into our Hall of Fame. So the first movie, I, the first character I want to talk about is Leatherface. And I'm sure many of you are already familiar with the infamous Leatherface. Um, he's from 1974's... Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, a classic. Well, and one of my favorites. And I think I've said before, it was my the first horror movie I ever watched alone. And I think that Leatherface is a really interesting character because he's actually based on a real-life murderer, um, Edward Gein. And obviously, um, a lot of other characters have been based on Edward Gein, like um, the killer from Psycho, Psycho, yes. who was um, obsessed with his mother which is the case with Edward. He um, would skin women that looked familiar, like, looked like his mother, to make like a suit of her or something that reminded him of her. He wanted to build a new mother for himself. So it's not necessarily similar to Leatherface, but he did cut off the skin and cut off the faces of his victims and wear them sometimes. Yeah. He also made... Um, skin furniture and stuff he was a very disturbed individual but he only actually killed two people the rest he dug up oh yeah that's sort of like the start of texas chainsaw right where they're making the art what on the mean? gravestones like when the movie first opens you see a gravestone that's been dug 
up and it's like oh, the yes. corpse has been mangled into a weird art piece. That's by Leatherface's brother. Okay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yes, I believe so. I, I do remember what you're talking about now. I think I always think that the movie starts with the teenagers that are traveling and whatnot. But you're, you're right. The very beginning is they're in the desert and they find that horrific art piece. But yeah, it's kind of similar to that. But he would also make like belts and stuff. Yeah, that's one of the one of the main reasons that I think Leatherface should be in the creepy culture icon Hall of Fame is because he is based off a real murderer. And come on, he's wearing a human face. Oh yeah. I mean, that gives him a good few points on the scarometer. Um I definitely I'm not ready to make my scarometer decision yet, but I also want to point out that in the first movie, he actually has three different faces that he wears, and he wears them for different occasions. So he has, like, a, a pretty woman, like, face with makeup that he wears at the dinner table to, like, dress up. Um, he wears the, like, old woman garb the first time you see him in the film. He's wearing, like, the apron and stuff, and he has, like, an old woman face that he's wearing. And you never actually see him without it in the original film. Yeah. And there, there's different reasons why he wears it um, throughout, because the films are kind of, they, they're, they're supposed to go together, but they don't really as well as they should. Yeah, they're not super fluid to each other. No, I mean, Leatherface has different names um, in the different films. So he's called Jed in like the most recent film. I think his name was like Theodore in one of the other it's films. Bubba. Yep, Bubba was one of his original names. So it's kind of odd that they keep changing his last his last and first name. Because originally, I, th- I think his last name was like Sawyer, and they changed it to something else. And So yeah, he's a very interesting character, and he's a little bit... It's hard to pinpoint exactly which is the right version of him. But yeah, he's quite the interesting person. And uh, supposedly, sometimes they say that he has like facial deformities... Um, so like he like part of his nose like rotted away or something. So people made fun of him, and that's why he started wearing masks. Yeah, and that first original movie, like I remember his teeth were all messed up. Mm-hmm. Were they sharpened maybe or something? Um, not as far as I know. I think a large part of what is so evil about Leatherface is largely because of his upbringing and his family. Yes, I don't necessarily think that. The person is evil. I think that he was created to be like a evil minion in a way. Yeah. His dad was very abusive in that movie, hitting him with stuff, yelling at him. Um, yeah, that dinner scene is fantastic in the sense that it's awful. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the most jarring part of the whole movie. But I think some of the chase scenes really like illuminate how scary Leatherface is with his chainsaw and chasing down the last girl. Honestly, I loved the first kill in that movie. The wheelchair, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm talking about before that. Oh, okay. Which one? In the house when that super 70s looking guy walks in. Right. Mm-hmm. Or no. no yeah. It's, it's one of the guys walks in and sees that red like room. With all the trophies oh, yeah, behind the door. Oh, yeah, he keeps going for whatever and reason. he keeps going, and he stumbles in, and it's just like a split-second kill. He just, like, clobbers him with the hammer, and he goes down, and then he just closes the door, and he's gone. 
that is so like jarring, so abrupt. I I think that kill is fantastic. In yeah. the sense that it's just shock value. I mean, technically, you trespassed, right? So was that a legal kill? <laughs> <laughs> well, what he does afterwards makes it a lot less legal, but sure, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I'm just, I know that they mostly killed people that were nearby. That yeah. were. It was more of an opportunity, rather. Um, and obviously, they're partaking in cannibalism and stuff like that. Obviously, isn't legal. Or mutilating a body is also illegal. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's parts of him that I feel like you wouldn't consider scary, especially the fact that he's not a mastermind or anything. He's just, like, he kind of carries out the dirty work of the family. Yeah. And he's a silent killer, which can can be scary, more scary or less scary, depending on how you feel about it. But he's not like Jason, you know, or Michael. Well, when you see him at the end, though, he's, like, wailing as the girl gets away and he's, like, flailing around his chainsaw. He's not the brightest killer. No. But that does make him scary, nonetheless. But he's not as plotting as some of the other ones. No, I I don't think that he would be as organized without his family. Yes. So that's the tough part. Um, But yeah, I feel, overall, I feel like he is a scary individual. I think on our scarometer, he would rank somewhere between unsettling and nightmare which will put us at like an eight it's wearing a human face i was gonna say like eight or nine eight probably really okay so we're giving them double eights yeah so that gives us a total of 16 scarometer points for leatherface yeah i think what's really scary about him is just like the idea of his upbringing. Just, like, you sort of feel bad for him, but, like, he has no emotions in terms of killing. He was brought up to just kill, butcher, eat. It's sort of like an animalistic sort of fear. Yeah, and I think in the... I think it's the second movie where he, like, tries to protect one of the victims because he has, like, a crush on her or whatever, which is a really interesting part, and it definitely takes away a little bit... Of actual fear. Yeah. But yeah. He's definitely definitely iconic, though. I mean, he's coming back with his own Netflix thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll probably be just as disconnected as all the other sequels. Oh, yeah, for sure. They try, though. And, you know, it's not like he's actually Edward Gein or anything. Yeah. But um, my second nomination is also quite a popular one. It's uh, Freddy Krueger, the man in the striped sweater. A classic. Yeah, the, he's the he's the Ernie of the the group here. <laughs> um, so obviously, Freddy is terrifying for so many reasons. I think the biggest one that got me when I was younger was his face. And we'll go back to like you know Leatherface, the scary face. But man, out of Jason and Michael and Freddy, just those three, Freddy's way totally like leaps and bounds above those two, and like actual just looking scary, in my opinion. Okay. I don't know if I entirely agree with you, but I see what you're saying. I don't expect you to agree with me, obviously, but that was my personal thought is that, like, masks don't, masks like that don't scare me that much, but I can understand why they do because you can't see what's underneath. But I don't know. Freddy Krueger just, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a mask. I don't even have a 
face. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. And the claws, man. He's like a scary wolverine. A little bit, a little bit. Now, one thing that detracts from the fear, that early scene in the first one, extendo arms Freddy, where he's got his arms all the way out. Um, There are some things Freddy does that come off to me as a little more comedic. Oh, definitely. And less frightening. Now, in that position, I would be scared, but, like, watching... A little, like, he's got syringes on his fingers. He said, let's get high. Was that from Dream Warriors? Yeah. That movie is insane. That's amazing. That one's one of my favorites. Um, I feel like I don't, that doesn't bother me as much about Freddy. I mean, there is, like, a comicness to him. But I also feel like that's connected to his position. His, this dream eater, this evil dream invader. Whereas, like, dreams are not one-dimensional. They're so all dimensions. I know that's a weird way to put it, but I just mean that, like, oftentimes, even when you're in a scary dream, weird things still happen. Yeah. And sometimes the dream isn't always fully scary. Like, I had a horror dream where I was getting chased by a bear, which is so random. And I don't remember actually being fully afraid. I was more annoyed. So... Yeah, I mean, I've had dreams like that. Like, recently I had one. It was pretty much an entire day of classes, completely normal. And then, like, right at the end, right when I was about to wake up, the, like, ring ghost that pops out the well just, like, came out of a locker in Whiteman and just took me down. And then I woke up. It's like, I can see how some of the dreams just a little weird mm-hmm. and it lends itself to be a little more wacky but it is terrifying his way of killing like how he can get you in your dreams there is no like running from that you need to sleep sometime no and i think that's the biggest fear of freddy is that there is really no escape and i mean some of the things I, i've had many discussions about freddy and like theories behind him because he's such an interesting character in horror he has those special powers where he's kind of he is inescapable you can't really escape freddy when he when he wants to kill you and obviously some of his background is in the original first few films i don't think they they claim this i think they they say that he's a murderer um but in the remake they claim that he's um, a pedophile yes and um, that the parents, like, wanted to kill him, and so they burned him alive. I think they sort of insinuate it. Mm-hmm, they do. In the first one, but in the remake, they all just flat out say it, and he is incredibly rapey and weird. And The remake was good, though. I actually enjoyed the remake for that. Yes. It was scary in a different way. It was not classic Freddy anymore. It was like, ooh, he's darker and just grosser that aspect of dreaming while you're awake which can actually happen if you're you're sleep deprived you do like kind of have like micro you take micro naps so -hmm. you're like constantly going in and out of sleep and i really enjoyed the way that they interpreted that and like had these kind of like real life visions almost like it was bleeding into their life but um 
Yeah, I mean, that aspect of him, that he's this horrible person that got murdered, you know. I know my fiancé brings this up a lot. Like, why? Why does he get to keep living on? Why does he keep getting to hurt people? What gives him that right to, like, basically live forever and murder forever? Well, I think, how did they explain it in Freddy versus Jason, right? A little bit of a wacky movie, but they call him like a dream demon, sort of, Mm -hmm. in some of those, where it's more of like a demonic aspect, where he went to hell and he was so evil that he got to like keep on torturing, keep on killing. So the devil decided that Freddy gets to like live on. Yes, there was like a lot of um, that sort of thing in the Wes Craven New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, yeah. It's been a second since I've seen that one. Yeah, but... same. No, that's a good way to put it, because honestly, I never have an answer for that. Even though horror is horror, we have to have it. We feel like with every light, there is a dark. So yeah. maybe that's part of it, that he evens out the score. Well, also, he is defeated in every movie, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's true. So I mean, besides it's like, the first movie. Yeah, that's a little wacky. Depending on which ending you've seen. Yes. The weird inflatable doll going through the window or whatever it was. I like the one where they like um, roll up the, the top and it's like Freddy's sweater. Yeah. The top of the car. Yeah, you know. And they drive away and it's like, ah, Freddy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's definitely probably one of the scariest horror villains horror icons and one of the most marketed as well he's i've seen him as a plush at target you see him him everywhere t-shirts i've seen him as an action figure he's he's definitely iconic i mean so is leatherface you know i have my action figure of him here today but i think freddie is much more of a popular icon than leatherface but i don't know Leatherface, I, I, I definitely love the true horror bef- behind Leatherface a little bit more. But I could see, I think that Freddy Krueger is probably inspired as well. So Freddy Krueger, I would definitely put him in between um, nightmares and crap your pants. So really? I I don't know, man. I, I, I could see him in my nightmares. I've never had a nightmare about Freddy Krueger. But... I could definitely see him. He's got to be in the nightmares, right? That's the category name. And he's, he's literally in your nightmares. I'm going to give him a nine. You're giving him a nine. I'm giving him a bold nine. He scares the bejesus out of me. Oh, no. You can give him whatever you want. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him a seven. Oh, wow. Okay. I think Leatherface is scarier. You really think so? I do. I like the aspect that it's like, it's real. It could happen. But they both tied. Well, you have to see what our tiebreaker is at the end here. All right. So now that you're judging my nominations, <laughs> you're gonna have to give your own. I I am prepared to do that. My first one, I'm gonna go with Ghostface, from Scream. Such a good nomination. 1996 Scream, to be exact. I like that one the best. But um, I love Ghostface for 
the idea of Ghostface. The idea that anyone could go to a gas station, get this costume, and kill people. It's, it's terrifying to think that. Like, these were some high school kids, even though they looked a lot older in the movie. It was the 90s. Yeah, I mean, they're college at least. But um, I like the idea that it's like, well, your, your classmate, it could be anyone. It could be anyone out there. It's a sense of paranoia and the fact that, like, you don't know who to trust. They're coming after you. They know things about you that they shouldn't because they're your friend. They're right next to you, but you don't know that. I think that lends itself to be a lot scarier than some of the more classic Jason Voorhees where it's just like, why is he coming after you? I don't know, because... Because you had sex. You know, you got to die now. Adultery. But I, I agree with you, for sure. Because he's not one person. He's anybody. It could be Shaggy. <laughs> I love that movie. Shaggy. He is great. The live-action Scooby-Doo is also in Scream. But I just love how they sort of mess with her in the phone gimmick. With the voice changer. What's your favorite and... scary movie? <laughs> I just like that a lot because there's a, some psychological aspect to messing with your victim. And especially if there's two ghost face, one of them's on the phone and you're like, okay, well, he's on the phone. He can't come after me. And then the other one's running at you with a knife. It's terrifying. It's hitting you with the old one, two, And then you find out, oh, shoot. It's my boyfriend and his best friend. How would I have guessed that? And, you know, this movie came out in the 90s, but I guess, spoiler alert? Yeah. I mean, I didn't... It came out in the 90s, though. I mean... You should know. Like, what number are they on now? They're releasing a new one at this point. It, it already came know. out. Come it's on. in theaters right now. Yes. It's on the tail end of theaters because it came out in January. It's at least the fourth one. Might be fifth. <laughs> I don't know. There are a lot of Scream movies. In my opinion, they sort of get worse as they go along. So well, that's most sequels in general. But yeah. Their first few were actually really good. Yes. Um, except for when Randy died. That was sad. We don't talk R- about Randy that. Randy was my kindred spirit. No, and it, there is something but about But Dewey, though. Dewey. Come on. Fantastic. The movie isn't scary. I will say that. The movie is not scary Ghostface gets punched, he gets kicked, he gets pushed down. The movie is pretty much a satirical comedy of horror movies before it. But the idea of Ghostface is scary. I think it has scary moments. I think it really plays off suspense. I think all the scariest moments are extremely suspenseful. And you're just wondering, where is he? Where is he? How could he be doing this? So I think there are moments where it is scary. And I don't know if you've ever seen the MTV show. Yeah. It's not fantastic. It's it's entertaining in a sort of garbagey way. <laughs> Whereas the characters aren't really it's very campy. It's very MTV. But I do like the who done it and in that one they play it up so much. They make it so dramatic. It's funny, not meaning to be funny, but, like, there are some scary moments in there. And that that ghost face 
is a lot more vicious. He's more, it's like a very bloody TV show. But, yeah, they, the newest season there, they brought it into, like, oh, now Ghostface is texting me. Oh, of course. But I, no I, caller I, ID on my iPhone. Oh, oh no. no. Anybody could be texting me. But I, I do think that's a really cool concept for a killer and think, pretty scary. Do you think Ghostface texts in all caps? Maybe if you hang up on him. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you leave him on red. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Ghostface. I mean, what I will say about Ghostface, and I think that you probably experienced this too, is that I experienced Ghostface before I was even old enough to watch it. Because kids my age were dressing up as Ghostface, even in elementary school. That's true. I didn't even know knife? Scream existed, and I saw Ghostface. So that, like, even, especially in this day and age, you can get a Scream costume, Ghostface costume, literally anywhere. There are so many different ones. So many of the fake bloody knives with the little liquid blood in it. Oh, we all we all had one at oh, one yeah. point. But... Yeah, for that fact alone, I think he deserves a, a fair spot on the scarometer. Yeah, he's he's monumental in that way, and especially you know us as kids, like no being familiar with the face, but not knowing that it was actually to a movie that we were way too young to watch. First time I watched it, my my stepdad got really mad at me. Really? I uh, went I went watched it at my friend's house. Oh. And then he found out that we watched it, and he's like, "You shouldn't be watching scary movies like that." And I was like. Is it really that scary? I mean, the scene where she gets, like, stuck under the, the garage door is kind of scary. And then, like, the little cat door. Yeah. I love watching that movie with friends. Yeah. I love, like, sort of gaslighting them, like, while the movie's going. Like, no, no, it couldn't possibly be them. No way. What? What are you talking about? You have friends that have never seen Scream. Yeah. I've watched... Scream with people for the first time, like, on multiple occasions. How dare you? It's great. And then I I like to think I make it a better experience when they have no idea. Because one thing I like to do is, at the end, spoilers, I, I guess, if you haven't seen Scream, go see Scream. What are you doing? Yeah, turn this off and watch Scream. And then turn it back on later when you're done. Yes, our outro is literally a scene in Scream. But... I like making people think, like, there's a there's a part where it's like, oh, no, Dewey's dead. Like, at the end, Dewey gets stabbed. I'm like, I'd like to make people think that he's dead. And then at the end, it's like a nice happy reveal when he's, like, out on the stretcher and he's all fine. But uh, I had a, one friend who was like, oh, Dewey's dead? No. No. <laughs> like, get really emotional. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for that, but okay. Sorry. No, good nomination, though. I think... It might, it might take me a second. I need to think about it. All right. I think I know my rating. Okay. I'm I'm going to go, like, right on the In My Nightmares. I'm going to go nine. I don't think he's that scary to me. Um, Personally, I'm going to give him, like... A six. That's not super mean. I think he's unsettling. That's fair. I don't think he's scary. I'm thinking of just the idea of... Yeah. Like a ghost face type person. Like if someone in the office 
had a grudge. Okay, I will give that a seven because no one in the office has a grudge against me, to clarify. That is not what I was that implying. That you know of. That I know of. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's terrifying. Okay, so what? We have 16, we have 16, 16. Stop. I blame you for this. Six, six, six. Oh, my God. Man, this last one better better come out strong. I, don't I do think this, like, it's going to. Pinhead from Hellraiser. I I think this is the winner. Hellraiser, 1987. I think he's just terrifying. I love his design. Their whole like mythos of the Cenobites is that they're from hell, so they're pretty much demons who have been tortured so much that they don't know the difference between pain and pleasure anymore. And they're, like, he's got nails in his head. He's got chains and spikes in his body. He's got the whole leather outfit. They're sort of weird. (laughs) BDSM bits in there. Some of the Cenobites are a little weirder than the rest. But Pinhead is definitely, like, he's the master of them all. He's the leader. And... I just like the idea of like a cosmic horror, one that you can't really beat at all. And it's just like if you are so unfortunate that you happen to come across them, you come across the puzzle box and you solve it, there's no getting out. You go to hell. You get tortured. You get like ripped apart. All of this horrible stuff. And I love the imagery from it. All of like the Clive Barker, the... In the second one, they go to hell, and it's like this just bleak landscape of nothingness. I love the idea of them, and I think it's terrifying, just their power that they have. Like, Freddy's terrifying, but these guys are, like, otherworldly. They're, like, cosmic, like, horror that we can't even imagine. I I agree with you. I think... The first few times I watched it, I felt as though there was a lot of mystery to it. Like, I know they're from hell, but it's it's a lot of questions of why. Why why are they taking this? Why are they attached to the puzzle? There's, there's a lot of mystery, and I think that adds to the fear factor. And Pinhead in particular, I mean, my God. The man has just pins in his head. I mean, I know that seems obvious, but it's it leads to more questions. Like, why? Why does he look like that? Why Why was he tortured? What happened to him? And the mystery is definitely what scares me. Yes. And on, on like, just a purely, like, power scale, powerful, like, he trumps all the ones that we've said before. That's true. Freddy comes close, but hell, like, Pinhead has killed an angel before in the newer movies that... May or may not be canon. Who knows? But he is like a demon. So it's like a biblical power level. And it just that sense is terrifying. To be fair, the angel wanted them to keep a murderer alive. True. To like even out, even it out in heaven or whatever. And Pinhead was like, no, you follow the rules or I'll kill you. Yes. He's very like judgment focused yeah like 
those who are, who are evil, those who open the box, those who have done wrong will get punished. Exactly. Which, I guess, it's still scary if you open the puzzle box. It's still scary if you encounter them because they're not really known for just being kind to anyone. But it's definitely terrifying if, like, for someone who has done some wrong and then, like, who knows, maybe it's like you you took something from a store once and then how do you know Pinhead's not going to string you up for that one with all the chains? Don't open the box. True. I mean, uh, the first the first Pinhead movie I watched, or Hellraiser movie, I should say, is um, the third one, so Hell on Earth. Mm. And I really didn't know anything about this series, so I was really confused, I guess. And that's the one where he's in the art piece and, like, the collector, like, owns the art piece and he's, like, a club owner or whatever. And then, like, they get released in the club and they murder everybody in the club. And yes. In really See, that one's ways. not really judgment. That's just sort of... What's hell on earth? True. He's Is just it... going to town, though. I mean, to be fair, they're all in the club, you know? All <laughs> y'all going goers to Wayside. be damned. Yeah, better be careful going to Wayside. <laughs> I don't think anyone's now. going to Wayside. Everybody's going to Wayside. What are you talking about? Uh, just not me, I guess. No, me either. But everybody else. I don't want to get Hellraiser. Yeah. We don't want to get murdered. That's why we don't go to Wayside. They, sh- they should know we'll go to the bird how scary he is. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, he's, I think he's definitely scarier than Ghostface. Oh, yeah. I will say that. For sure. Um, yeah, because you're right. He's otherworldly. He has this, like, the way he stands up straight. And the way that his the nails just so perfectly are lined up, it's very unsettling. I wouldn't put him at unsettling, the category. Yes, that is too low for him. I would I would be concerned if you did that. I'll give him a nine. You give him a nine. I gener- I'm very feeling very generous, and I do feel like he is scary. He scared me as a child. So. Okay, I'll give him a nine. So that puts him at two points above anybody else. All right. That, that's fair. I'll accept that one. <laughs> so, um, right. I mean, we're at the end. So that means that we have to announce a winner. Um, so basically, we decided the winner based on points. The The highest scoring horror icon will officially be inducted into the creepy culture horror icon hall of fame it's a wordy title but yes what no no it's not (laughs) (laughs) um this this character not only scared me as a child but scared me as an adult um induced nightmares of i'm sure thousands of children oh and is a one hell of a murderer um, the winner will be Pinhead. Pinhead from Hellraiser. He so, is an absolute icon. This is our first annual induction. So tell us who you think should be the second annual induction. Or or also tell us how you would have scored these horror icons that we've talked about did you disagree with us? Did you agree? Did you think someone should have been higher? Tell us in the comments 
or on our Instagram. Yeah, perfect. And, you know, I'm more than willing to admit I, I was wrong if you pick something, convince me. Yeah, pick, pick, pick something better and convince me. Um, so I guess that's putting us right into the final kill. All right. Um, what was your final kill for the week? My final kill is Scream. Scream 1996 because it is just a classic movie. It is a classic horror movie filled with satire, humor, a little bit of horror in there, some scary moments. But I think it is a fantastic movie. Sit down with a group of your friends, hopefully who haven't seen it or you haven't seen it, because we didn't spoil who the killer is, but tell... Make bets with your friends on who you think it is. It's a, it's a fun movie to watch. Fake him out. Make him think that Dewey's dead at the end. Yes. <laughs> Not Dewey. I think Scream's a great movie for horror fans. People who are like part of the horror culture. Because it really does... Con- it's kind of... It kind of mocks horror movies. It's a horror movie that mocks other horror movies. Yes. It makes fun of all of the ones that have come before it. Makes fun of the 2000s trend... It makes fun of horror in general. Yeah, I think it's definitely a great nomination. I'm, I'm really sorry that you that he didn't make it in. I know. Just not scary enough. What was your final kill? Oh yeah, my final kill is um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, the original, the first movie I ever watched alone, horror movie. Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> just as a callback to our first episode. It is a must-watch if you enjoyed our conversation about Leatherface because it is older, for sure. You'll, you'll kind of get that. But there is this macabre like feeling that you get throughout the film. It is a big part of horror history. We've talked about that before in our first episode. It's shocking. Yes. This one was like one of the beginnings of gore and just really getting dark with it so i think it's a fantastic movie definitely and you know he's based off a real killer so what more could you want there's cannibalism murder chainsaws and teens going swimming you'll love it check it out and a lovely dinner scene yes there's there's even dinner included but yeah um i well thank you so much for joining us today for our discussion of horror icons And we really hope we didn't scare you too much. And don't forget to join us next Friday. We're going to be discussing uh, literary horror, horror in books and novels. Um, Until next time. And don't say you'll be right back, because this is a horror movie, baby, and you know you won't be back. Come on. I'll be right back. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.